First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Today is the last message in our short series entitled, The Hope of Our Salvation. I'll read verses 13 through 21 for a context this morning. The scripture says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Just by way of reminder, this series, The Hope of Our Salvation, Peter is writing to believers who were enduring a great deal of hardship, suffering. They were being persecuted, and as a result, a number of them had lost possessions, their homes, their jobs, and some even family members and or freedom. Their faith in Christ, their testimony for him, had cost them dearly. Peter is writing this book to be an encouragement to them. In this passage, as we've been looking at, he specifically addresses five areas by which we might be encouraged. We've already looked at the first four. The glory of God in verse 13. The holiness of God in verses 14 and 15. The word of God in verse 16. The judgment of God in verse 17. And today, verses 18 through 21, we'll consider the love of God. God's love for us is, or at least ought to be, our highest motive for living a godly life. We love him because he first loved us. In this paragraph, verses 18 through 21, Peter reminded these individuals of their salvation experience. A reminder that all of us regularly need. God saved us from the depths of sin. You know, when people talk about how they're really not that bad a person, they really haven't done all that much wrong. Oh, sure, they've had their shortcomings, the little slip-ups along the way, but after all, they're a good person. The Bible tells us there is none good, no, not one. And it was our sin that required the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place that we might have a home in heaven. He touches on this subject here. And he reminds us where we came from. And how we got to where we are today. We'll look at two things this morning. We're going to look at 
the work of God's love and then the wonder of God's love. Verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You see, he reminded his readers what God's love did for them. And the imagery here Peter uses is clearly understood by his readers. It was the image of slavery. To begin with, the entire human race is a slave to sin and needs to be set free. We refer to that. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're reminded there is none good, no, not one. The word redeemed, for us, it's a theological term. But it carried a special meaning to the people of the first century Roman Empire. Scholars estimate there are around 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. There were three different words used to depict a slave in their relation to the marketplace. The marketplace, the agora, the place where people would go to purchase or to sell another human being for the purpose of being a slave. The first word that was common to them was agorazo, the Greek word. It means to buy or sell in the agora, the marketplace. And it refers to the act of the purchase. The second word, ex agorazo, the little prefix ex means out of. It literally means to buy out and denotes purchasing a slave or a person for the purpose of setting them free. However, it's the aim of the purchase. It's not, been, it's not actually come to pass. The third word that was used is lutrao. It means once the purchase has been made and the receipt has been obtained, that person is ransomed and they are set free. So for the first, being in the marketplace, being an object of of merchandise. The second is being purchased with the idea of being set free. But all the aftermath of the purchase is one is actually able to obtain his or her freedom as a result of this gracious act Humanly speaking, redemption was a precious thing in that day for anyone who obtained their freedom as such. But spiritually speaking, thank God for the fact we have been redeemed from the bondage of sin. Our Lord purchased our redemption. Redemption has been a familiar theme Throughout history of Israel, Moses urged Israel to remember they had been slaves in Egypt. As the folks were released from Egypt, freed from Egypt, referred to as the Exodus, they made their way toward the promised land, but their disobedience and rebellion prevented them from being able to obtain that land as God intended. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And it was that generation that died in the wilderness. They did so because they forgot about the bondage 
of Egypt. And they wanted to go back. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee up thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. The people's response was, We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Even though they were slaves... They kept thinking about, well, the good part of it. When it comes to being a slave to sin, there is no good part. And unfortunately for many today, they seek after the pleasures of sin. They seek after those things which satisfy the flesh. And they will only find, and in many cases, unfortunately too late, Those things which they chase after cannot and will not satisfy their desires. You see, in the New Testament, and Paul referred to this in Galatians 3, when he said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for uh, for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. To, To Titus he wrote, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The imagery here, is one is a slave and is bound to his or her master unless by some act of graciousness they obtain their freedom and they become a free citizen. For us, the imagery is also clear. Bound by sin, a child of Satan, a child of darkness until we see Jesus Christ as the Messiah who died for our sin on Calvary's tree, purchased our redemption, and by repenting of our sin, we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Most, if not all of us, have heard that same statement or something similar to it so many times that it just becomes, you know, it's just another thought. But think about the literally billions in the world today who have never heard the name Jesus Christ, who have never trusted in him as their savior. That statement is either foreign and unknown to them, or it is for some reason unbelievable and unacceptable to them. How tragic. They're trusting in some other manner to find redemption. Beloved, redemption is only through Jesus Christ. We know that. How desperately they need to know as well. The warning Peter gives here in this thought is we must never forget we're sinners saved by the grace of God. You ever thought about how wonderful the Lord is? And we're not. Many times when I pray, Lord, thou art wonderful. We praise you for all that thou art. And I ask you to forgive me for those things I am not. You know, if it weren't for God, what hope would we have? Many of these slaves, they lived and died 
with nothing more than a hope that they might be one day freed. Countless billions have passed from this life to the next with only a hope of somehow finding favor with God. If only they'd recognize Christ is the one who bled and died, that they in turn might have eternal life. Yes, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. What we were, we no longer are. What we are is not what we should be. But as long as we continue moving in the direction toward our Lord and seeking to please Him, we'll be making the right decisions. P.P. Bliss wrote this hymn. said, I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love for me. On the cruel cross He suffered from the curse to set me free. Yes, it was the work of God's love that made it possible for mankind to be saved. But then we go on to the wonder. Verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We talk about how salvation is a free gift, but it does not come to us without a cost associated with it. Yes, Christ shed his precious blood. Peter not only reminded those believers and as well reminds us also of what they were, but what Christ did. Remember, Peter was a witness of Christ's suffering. Peter had the privilege, along with a number of other disciples, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ throughout his earthly ministry. They got to see him perform miracles. They heard his teaching. They shared in his burden. But at the time of his death, Jesus told them, where I go, you can't go. You know, for Jesus entered into the depths of suffering. Peter saw that. Peter saw Jesus on the cross. Peter saw the resurrected Lord. Peter accepted his rebuke when on the shores of Galilee. Jesus asked him three times, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Yes, Peter had an opportunity to see. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John wrote, That which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, we have hand of, our hands have handled uh, the word of life. He said we got to see his, his life. We got to see not only how he lived, what he did. We got to see how he died. And through that, John, Paul, Peter, all made the same statement. Jesus was without sin. He was the spotless Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Peter said to the elders, He's remembering what the Lord had told him in his ministry. He said, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. 
For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Yes, in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, he's reminding his readers of an Old Testament teaching. A spotless sacrifice had to be offered for the cleansing of sin. The priest would examine that offering, making sure there's no blemish, no broken bones, no illness of any sort, making sure that it was an acceptable offering. Peter refers here to the fact that Jesus was without blemish and without spot. Yes, this is the doctrine of substitution. Christ took our place on the cross. But we understand he was the only one who could take our place. He was born without the influence of a human father. His father was God. Therefore, he did not receive the bloodline passed down through the human race from Adam. For by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all, all men for that all have sinned. You see, everyone born into this world receives that fallen nature, Adamic nature, from their father through the bloodline. But Jesus, of course, Father is God, conceived of the Holy Spirit. No sin was passed down to him. This is an argument among so-called scholars about whether or not Jesus could sin if he wanted to. You know, did he just not sin or could he not sin? I'm of the latter. I don't believe Jesus could sin. He is God. He wasn't a man. He was a man. Excuse me. He was 100% man and 100% God. And as God could not sin. You say, well, how in the world then could he understand? Oh, the scripture tells us he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he suffered pain. He experienced hunger. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to sorrow. Yet without sin. When you consider the price of his sacrifice... We recognize, the scripture says in verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. Why did his blood have to be shed? Hebrews 9.22 tells us without shedding of blood is no remission. See, the word translated precious means costly. Throughout human history, man has never, never witnessed anything as valuable as the blood that flowed down that cross on Calvary's hill. Blood is invaluable for earthly life, and Christ's blood is invaluable for eternal life. When John Wesley was returning home from a service one night, he was robbed. The thief, however, found his victim to have only a little money in some Christian literature. As the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out and said, Stop! I have something more to give you. Robert thought, well, he's been hiding some money. But Wesley said, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The thief hurried away. But years later, Wesley had spoken at a Sunday service in a church, and a stranger approached him, and he introduced himself 
He was a successful businessman in the community, but it was the same man who had robbed him years before. And he said, I've never been able to get away from what you said. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Yes, it is that precious blood necessary for the redemption of mankind. But verse 19 also says, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Yes, Peter made it clear. Christ's death was an appointment, not an accident. You know, people refer to Jesus being murdered. They refer to him being a martyr for his cause. No, Jesus was a lamb as led to the slaughter. He went willingly. History tells us when someone was crucified, and by the way, that was a common practice at that time. Jesus wasn't the only one to be crucified. There were many that suffered this terrible death. They tell us the prisoners would scream, yell, curse, spit, kick, anything they could do to fight those who were nailing them to the cross. Can you imagine our Lord simply offered himself freely without argument, without conflict, but with great compassion. For the human, from the human perspective, this was a cruel, cruel ordeal. All but for God's perspective, it was a wonderful gift John 10, therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Francis Havergill, you saw a picture of the crucified Christ and under it was the caption, I did this for thee. And then the question, what hast thou done for me? She went home and wrote the words to this poem, which is now a a popular hymn. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be, and quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? It's a good question. What is your answer? 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us the love of Christ constraineth us. I trust today you love the Lord. I trust you love him not just because you have a home in heaven, but you love him because he loved you enough to die for you and give you a home in heaven, to redeem you from the bondage of sin, to make him a new creature in Christ, to receive you into the family of God. And the list goes on and on and on. Our love for God should be uninterrupted as is his love for us. Someone has said, God does not love us because we're so valuable. Rather, we're valuable because God loves us. The love of God. I believe that's one reason we're here today. God loves us. Peter wrote these words of encouragement 
to those folks who are going through great struggles and difficulties. Whatever you might face today, tomorrow, or in days to come, know that God is aware of it and he cares. Yes, the love of God. No matter how hard we try, we won't be able to fully describe it. We're told this particular hymn in our songbook, The Love of God, which, by the way, is a very popular hymn, but we're told the words in the last stanza were found written on the walls of an insane asylum many years ago. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God's love. A wonderful, wonderful encouragement to us as we go through struggles and trials. May the love of God lift you up today as you seek to live for him.